Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. everyone. Welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Burning-Smith, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In our episode today, we're chatting to Kane Kressel and Tim Pope, who work together to create lyrics and vocals for the Amenta, who are right here in Australia. Uh, hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, very really well. Good. Very well. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on and chatting to us. Uh, so to start us off, can you introduce the Amenta's music uh, for any listeners who haven't heard it before? Uh, I guess we're... Uh an extreme metal band, um, elements of black metal and death metal, things like that. It's all very dark and horrible. We try and be, I guess we try and be a tense <laughs> band more than anything else. What would you like to add, King? What are we? Uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. D- discomfort, discomfort plays a, a pretty key role in what we do. So, um, yeah, easy listening is the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Yes, you could put it. So, yeah. Is that is the, is discomfort something that you you kind of seek out, or is is it just sort of how you've described your music after you've done the fact, or is that kind of like is there an, a discomfort as an intent? It's an it's it's definitely something I enjoy. I've always enjoyed, and I I think everyone in the band, in their own ways, has some kind of um, hunger for discomfort in different in different forms of um, art music literature so, I, I think that's an aspect that's definitely been something that's that's increased significantly it's always been there to a certain extent but that aspect of the band has now kind of been supercharged since Kane joined so Kane's been with us since 2009 mm. uh, and since then I think the band has taken a bigger step towards that side and that's probably a lot of that is to do with Kane's uh, I think performance and on stage and and um, creative kind of input I mean so obviously fans of metal will be quite familiar with enjoying music that brings about a sense of discomfort, but uh, I assume we have some people listen here that, that don't, you know, listen to much metal. So how did you go to enjoying art, which provides a feeling that people generally don't think of as appealing uh, in their music? How did, how did you move into uh, metal music, which is not just metal, but also uh, discomforting metal? I think um, for me personally, um, a lot of the, the art that I've always liked has always been something that's that's kind of that puts you a little bit off balance. Um, I think generally, if you're a movie or a um, a, a picture or, or something like that, if you if it's something that's familiar, there's not really anything there for me to grab onto. I'm not really interested in, in just seeing depictions of the familiar. So having seen something that that kind of just makes me take a step back and and unsettles me a little, gives me a chance to actually engage with something 
uh, rather than just see it in a sort of really face value way. And so I think for, for mm-hmm. me and what we do in, in our music, but also the music that I over time have got into is the stuff that has made me kind of sit back and actually forced to, to engage with it and interpret it. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that we would hope other people do with our music as well. Um, but I, across everything we do, I think it's that desire to um, get people to interpret, to, to be forced to engage with the work rather than just kind of go, that's, that's metal, that's death metal or whatever, you know? And also just to touch on that discomfort thing a little bit further, it's it, the first thing that kind of comes to mind when you think of that word is, oh, okay, so it's a metal band, discomfort. Um, I, you know, the first thing that springs to mind is just kind of overwhelming noise, distortion, um, awfulness. But one thing that's always, one thing that I found fantastic about this band before I joined was a, a really interesting contrast between uh, hooks that almost have a kind of beauty about them, um, whether that's guitar or, or keys driven um, and more emotionally sort of um, charged uh, aggressive kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, we've definitely broadened that out in a few different directions because discomfort something you can feel uh, uh, with a, a, a with like grief often has a discomfort that comes with it but sure. grief is something that's that can be really beautiful to explore in art and music um and the, there's a whole spectrum of different kind of emotional directions i guess that you can you can lean into discomfort so it's it's not really a um a blanket kind of thing it is a bit of a, a universe that has different dimensions that you can sort of poke around in and we've we've done we probably more on revelator than than any of the previous releases by far mm. and is that kind of discomforting quality something that originally drew you to metal as a broader genre or is that something the more that you've kind of grown to appreciate through your work with the Amenta? It's something that's always been been there. And I think catharsis plays a huge role in it. Um, seeing seeing uh, or experiencing s- somebody else's um, discomfort through their music or, or film or whatever um, is a kind of way that, and I think this is the case for a lot of people that are drawn to these kind of extreme music styles is, is um, that catharsis of, of, experiencing somebody else's discomfort from their perspective but also being able to make some kind of connection to something that touches you and through their release it's like you're able to release something through their their magic if if you get what i'm saying i also think it might be something to do with the way the way the music sounds um especially sort of extreme black metal and death metal and things like that when i first was exposed to it, it was kind of in you know, tapes that friends had given me and things like that. And you'd listen to it on Walkmans and coming from a background of, of listening to stuff that I thought was heavy back then. Um, but then hearing that it is, it's really, it's, it is that uncomfortable off-putting kind of thing where you're like, I don't actually understand this, mm-hmm. um, but that, that makes it fascinating. And I think that's kind of something that ideally we're continuing on with our own stuff. So when you two were first getting into metal and especially discomforting 
genres and styles of metal. Uh, did you pay any attention to the lyrics at all? Did you care about that? Did you look for music that also had lyrics that made you feel uncomfortable? Or what was the role of, of lyrics in your kind of process into being a fan of the more extreme side of metal? Personally, um, and I, I reckon this is probably not going to be anything like your answer, Kane, but I, I was thinking about this today, having listened to a few episodes of the podcast, and I knew this sort of question was coming. I was thinking about it and I was thinking, yeah. I, I actually don't think that I paid much attention to lyrics at all for a very long time. Um, because of that way I was exposed to extreme metal was I didn't have a lot of, there weren't a lot of, when I first started listening to it, it was when a lot of the black metal stuff was coming out and you couldn't really get access to legitimate copies of CDs. So someone was tape trading or maybe someone has found a CD and then it was copied a million times and passed around the social network. Um, so that I would get these tapes, these just, you know, C90s with, my mate's biro scroll on it. So I, if I could decode their writing, I'd be able to work out what the song titles were. <laughs> but because of the nature of the way they sung, often had no idea what they were singing. And if, if I did, it was probably more along the lines of a Mondegreen or something like that, where I thought they were saying something and it was saying something completely different. Mm -hmm. So for a long time for me, uh, and probably for a lot of listeners, I think for Extreme Metal, a lot of the boys came down to an instrument and kind of percussion based rather than um, any actual meaning behind lyrics uh, and it was more about the atmosphere for me so that was what attracted me to it originally or, um, but that has changed to a certain extent over time but I still listen to uh, metal in particular other music's not so much but metal in particular I listen to atmosphere and sound first before I, and I'll listen to an album four or five times before I even start thinking about lyrics but I'm sure that's completely different to you Kane Huh. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, uh, from very early on, well, for me, I didn't have music wasn't something that I could really participate in with lot as a kid. I, I didn't have instruments around me. And, um, you know, as much as I, I was obsessed with with music, um that wasn't something I could jam with. But singing is something I can just I can, I can you can always jam with it. It's it's free you don't need to buy gear to do it so that's something i would always play around with and the vocalist that really grabbed me by the throat i'd be so obsessed with them i'd have to know what they're on about um what is this guy talking about what, what the 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 nature of his the delivery and the structure of the song and the hooks uh, is just gripping me so so tightly that i have to know what this is about um, and one thing I noticed early on was that, you know, some, some of these vocalists would be really fantastic visual kind of um, uh, lyricists uh, with all sorts of metaphoric, um, really expressive um, wordplay and, and innovative, unique ways of expressing ideas. Whereas some of these singers um, were actually kind of just writing rubbish really um <laughs> like quite uninspiring lyrics but that kind of clicked with me that wow um you can still grab someone just as hard with an amazing um vocal line um even if the lyrics are terrible mm. so i think that as a kid kind of making that recognition that some of these guys are actually kind of shit lyricists but <laughs> i still fucking adore this song i don't yeah. care whether whether it's about cowboys or motorbikes or whatever the fuck it is like this song is amazing um so i think that was something that planted a seed that like 
as a kid made me think, wow, I don't need to be an amazing writer to be able to express things in an interesting way that connects with people. Are so, there bands that, oh, sorry, sorry. No, you're right. Go for yeah. it. Are, are there bands that, uh, you said you listened, you also read some bands where you really like their lyrics. Are there bands that also made you feel the opposite way that like, um, you know, this is the style I need to go for if I do want to really impress people with my lyrics? Uh, not so much. Uh, it was more just picking up things that are exciting to me and, and, and kind of studying them. So, um, I think the first thing that the first time I, I remember being really intrigued by somebody's writing style lyrically was as a kid was actually listening to, um, old ACDC albums and the way that Bon Scott would write. He, he had this real street trash um, pervert kind of uh, nature about the way that he would write, but he, he wrote in a really interesting, clever way. It, and he was often, his writing would often be referred to as um, street poetry. Mm. So there's this, there's this very clever um, approach to arranging things in a, an interesting, unique way and using a lot of metaphoric, things and um a lot of really interesting bits of of wordplay throughout his stuff but he never tried to sound eloquent about any of it it was always very you know scumbag type of you know um he he kind of painted himself as as a bit of a, a an asshole and a bit of a pervert like he, that character that came through his lyrics was like oh i would not trust my kids around this guy kind of thing like this guy's a perv he's just he's drinking piss and um you know writing songs about um you know venereal disease and 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 um pubic lice and all sorts of you know grotesque things that in rock in the 70s um for some bunch of pisshead australian guys singing about about um you know diseases by like for example the the song the jack um is all written using poker as the metaphor for you know for playing cards this this playing cards or um having relations with a lot of people and catching catching diseases and the song's chorus is basically saying i'm i've got a disease so like but why would you write that it's awful this is not you look like a hero in any way it's the opposite he's this kind of villainous um anti-hero type Mm. type dude and i i thought i was really grabbed by that um the fun in that kind of uh you know there's no heroic kind of cool guy thing it's it's a real like you know i'm just a i'm a bit of a shithead but i'm cool with that and he and he would do it in this he was like a poetic shithead really kind of like a, a bukowski kind of thing right yeah 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 absolutely like just absolutely miserable horrible principle. human being who knows how to write yeah, yeah so and then you know you've got uh, then on the other side you've got guys that are using um you know similar kind of tricks but they put things in a lot more of an eloquent kind of mm-hmm. clever sounding way so you you know like ronnie james dio for example he'd be using a lot of wordplay and and um 
metaphoric stuff and and quite going quite deep into a lot of really abstract ideas that have a lot of different meanings potential meanings to them but he put he put it in a, a much more he'd sort of compose himself in a lot more of a mature kind of way um you you respect you you read those lyrics and it's you kind of respect whoever this writer is whereas bon scott you think oh this guy's a dirtbag but a fantastic <laughs> dirtbag like the best the best kind so i guess um and then you know on the the other end of the spectrum you've got people singing about motorbikes and and um cowboys and things and it doesn't have to sound clever it doesn't have to even be interesting but if they can write a good hook then that's all that really matters at the end of the day but since we're talking about lyrics um mm. back to you guys <laughs> <laughs> no that's great it feeds yeah. in well to my next question which was going to be like you know given that variety um can you say that there's any kind of defining quality to metal that distinguishes it from you know the lyrics of any other genre tim <laughs> over to you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that you could necessarily say that any lyrics in and of themselves are either metal or not metal. I think context, you're putting something into a frame and it's generally all about delivery, I think. Mm. Certain things, if they're delivered, I think that the key is that there's got to be uh, a some kind of logical marriage between the form and the content and the delivery. So there's mm-hmm. the music and the, the lyrics kind of have to match. You, you can't, it doesn't necessarily work if you have a very dark, atonal, brutal for want of a better term song yeah. and then if you're singing something about tiptoeing through the tulips over the top of that then what what you're doing is you're creating a, a discord for the listener mm. which potentially could work it depends on what the the aim is but then immediately the, the listener is forced to engage with that in a different way so it doesn't mean it's not going to be metal it just means that it's not maybe not going to be effective to that person so if that person is after something that's dark and horrible then that's going to be something they can go, I like the music, but the lyrics are weird. Mm. If someone, there are people who enjoy um, enjoy that kind of, I guess that tongue-in-cheek ironic kind of thing, uh, which is not not my bag at all, but people do enjoy it. And for them, they would go, I like that. I think it's funny. That's what I want in metal. So I don't know if you can necessarily say things are or aren't metal. I think you can only really judge on a personal way, is this successful for me or not? So what mm. I, I tend to like is that kind of, um, I, I, I like in all the sort of pretty much everything I like, I, I tend to like it to be a little bit mysterious and interpretable. I like it not to be sort of face value stuff. I'd rather have something that you have to dig into and go, I don't really understand this, but I'm going to try and mm-hmm. try and work with it and see if it makes sense to me. That's the sort of stuff I like. Um, so I guess that's my personal preference, but I'm sure it's, different for Kane. I'm sure it's different for a lot of people listening. Um, so I, I, I don't, I personally don't think there's necessarily a, a metal lyric and a non-metal lyric. There's only mm. a successful, it's only successful to the listener. The listener will say, yes, I like that. No, or no, I don't. That's my take anyway. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. The genres and subgenres tend to have their, their tropes. Um, but also that point that you made before about you know sometimes the the contrast between subject matter and the sound of the music can actually be done in a really interesting way there's definitely things i've come across that have um had that done in a a really interesting what powerful way um 
Well, I was only thinking today, there's a couple of songs that I, I was thinking of along those lines yeah. that kind of play with that. They have, so I, I don't actually know the lyrical content of these songs, but I, I know, um, so one example was there's a band called Thorns from Norway who had a song called Lovely Children. And you know, you see that and you go, okay, well, I, I know either those lyrics are very straight faced and they're actually about aren't children nice, in which case that is kind of creepy mm. or it's, it's being ironic and in which case it's still kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the other one I was thinking of is there's an Australian band called the Bremelin um, who one of their sort of big songs back in the 90s was called Humble Abode, which is such a, obviously an innocuous title. But the one thing I remember about that album is I, that's one of the albums I had on CD when I was um, a young kid. And the CD that I had was printed without the lyrics because I knew the lyrics had been banned um, or they, I think certain governments had, had kicked up a stink about it. So they'd, they'd repressed it without lyrics. And so having not read those lyrics and actually not caring about lyrics all that much at that point, all I knew was the song was called Humble Abode and the lyrics had been banned. And so that those two kind of facts mixed together made me think that is obviously not as innocuous as it sounds. So metal right. can kind of play with that side as well. Okay. Well, what about the flip side? I mean, we've talked about, you know, um, liking lyrics that make you discomfortable. We've talked about liking lyrics that are using poker as a metaphor for STDs. We've talked about uh, liking lyrics that are kind of a joke. Is there anything that now that you both are, you know, writing lyrics and have been around the scene for a while, are there things that come up in metal a lot that you find yourself kind of not interested in or that kind of turn you off of a song? I don't, I don't think I'd necessarily be turned off um, by a subject in lyrics. I mean, obviously this, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't listen to you know, Nazi bands and all that sort of shit, but mm. if, if someone's dealing with a subject, I don't think it would necessarily, there's no subject I would say, I don't want, I don't want to hear someone singing about baking a cake, I don't, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, there's certain, certainly things that I like more as a, as a writer, there's certain things I wouldn't want to do because it just, I find it boring. So like the, the gore thing, not interested, not interested in doing that. Um, uh, why not? To me, because it's it's a trope and it's, mm. it, it just, well, the thing for me is it, to me, it's got to feel honest. So I'm not singing them. So there's, there's a whole other side there. But when I write lyrics, I've got to feel like I believe in that. Mm-hmm. Whereas writing a, writing gore lyrics is something that I don't spend a lot of my time wading through blood. <laughs> so it means nothing to me and doesn't mean anything to me in a metaphorical sense or anything like that. I want to have, if I'm going to stand behind lyrics, I want to have them actually mean something to me so that ideally in a few years, I can look back at it and go, okay, I remember that. I remember what that was about, as opposed to here's a pretty story I wrote about that time that I picked up a hitchhiker. It's, it doesn't, to me, it's, it's just, it doesn't feel real. And I'm here for it to be real. I want extreme metal to be something that is true as much as possible. I don't think it should be something that you play act and that would be play acting for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've never been particularly interested in going down those kind of roads either painting pictures for the sake of painting a picture about something that I have no connection to whatsoever. Um, if, if I'm writing something, it, it has to have something that I give a shit about coming through that expression otherwise it's just kind of yeah like perfect as tim said play acting it's not something i'm really i've, ne- I've never been in particularly interested in either i also think um gore's a funny thing because i think when when early bands were doing you know cannibal corpse obviously i think everyone i've heard 
in this podcast has talked about yeah. cannibal yeah. Yeah. We, we said we need a Guaranteed. bell. Guaranteed. Yeah. The yeah. Cannibal Corpse bell. Who's got the alarm? Um, <laughs> cannibal Corpse, when they did it, it was uh, it was, it was a unique thing. Yeah, and it was it was new and and but the more bands that do it, it becomes like it's completely meaningless. You see, it do- all these yeah, bands, it dilutes it. Yeah, for sure. They're all all their songs using the noun, and they they're all just sort of these long winded things. Everyone's taking the carcass medical mm. uh, dictionary and and just hmm. they're using big words that they don't necessarily know know what they mean, and it it becomes not about the meaning at all. It just becomes about this Box is ticking. Hope. We're just filling in. This is we know death metal has brutal lyrics about blood and guts and gore. So let's just knock some of that shit out and we can sing over the top. So you're going almost back to the voice just as instrument because there actually is no content in the lyrics. It's just stringing together a whole bunch of grotesque imagery, which doesn't really have any any meaning behind it. Mm. And, and that's, that's not to say there's no value in it. Like no, no. there's a reason that people love this stuff. Like we we're we're aware that there's value in it. And we've both in surely enjoyed also you know tons of that kind of stuff um over over time but it, yeah as a personal interest kind of, it's not yeah neither of us are kind of i'm trying to start a war particularly here. excited i'm trying to yeah. start a war fuck all those bands <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is it's interesting right just how how metal is has existed within society and that uh, when cannibal corpse first came out uh singing about murdering people was kind of like itself a meaningful act in a way right it was like hey yeah. i can do this i'm allowed to do this i'm gonna do this and now everyone's like yeah you are yeah it's fine. <laughs> i like to think that those those early really um extreme bands that actually had there was a mainstream understanding of it what they're basically doing is they're going out to the perimeter of the death metal compound and they're sticking the no trespassing signs up around the border and that mm. means that anyone else, anyone who's not really au fait with extreme metal will go oh i know death metal is all that really gross lyrics and i don't want to know about that which really just gives us the rest of the the rest of us kind of the space to do what we want to do and and kind of do the art side without having to worry not worry but you know it makes us it lets us keep this thing that's kind of precious and special to us without it being diluted interesting so Mm. like the Mm. the halloween costume that that scares everyone away and then in, or like you know the decorations yeah. outside the house <laughs> yeah. inside the house everything's fine that's right mm, okay that's, that's a terrible metaphor i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you gotta I try mean, these things yeah <laughs> see what floats don't know it's bad until i say it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's half the, that's half the, the struggle of writing an album just getting through all the <laughs> shit that doesn't work to the yeah. point and refining it down to the stuff that that does yeah well, as you say that, can you give us like a summary of what your approach to writing lyrics is? I know, you know, each of you have kind of contributed different amounts of lyrics to, uh, you know, songs of different albums and stuff. But if you can kind of give us in a nutshell what your process is, that'd be wonderful. Start off, Tim. Get in there, mate. All right. Get in um, there. My process has changed, I think, a lot. Um, the first album would definitely be just Juvenalia. That was, we needed some lyrics. I'll bang some stuff out. And that's Outside of maybe three songs in that first album, I, d- I don't really, um, I-, I try not to think about those lyrics all that much. Um, the second album was getting a bit more aware of what I was trying to do. Um, and that was, but still, that's a different to what I'm currently doing. I think um, when we started writing Flesh's Air, which was the first thing I'd written with Kane in mind. Uh, so previously, we'd had Kane as our third vocalist over three albums, uh, the first three albums. 
Um, the first two I'd written without really thinking about the vocalist at all. Uh, just, we need some lyrics, let's get it. The second album was written without a vocalist. The vocalist joined um, during the recording of the album. So he, I'd had no real sort of thought about who was singing, how they sang, all that sort of stuff. Uh, with the third album, it was the first time I started thinking about, okay, well, we don't have, Kane's voice is very different to everything we'd had before. He's not like our first singer, Mark, was a very sort of guttural, uh, aggressive, um, almost hardcore shout sort of death metal thing. And so writing for him would be different than writing for Jared, our second vocalist, who uh, was um, a bit more sort of high up and, and a little bit more frenetic and things like that. Whereas Kane has this uh, much more emotional way of delivering words. I think there's a, there's a, a quality to Kane's voice um, which none of the other vocalists have and, and very few vocalists have, which is even when he's singing uh, more aggressive styles, there's a almost like a plaintive kind of, okay, a cat yowl in, in his voice, which is is really unique. And so you welcome Cat yell. Nice. That, that is a compliment. <laughs> I mean that very complimentary. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about that, but I also most of my exposure to Kane at that point was he'd sung, he'd sung for us for a couple of years, but live and you'd recorded one song, one new song, um, which was the void song. Everything else he'd recorded up to that point it was re-recordings of, of old stuff. So I still didn't really know what Kane could do. So I, I was writing lyrics then. And that, at that point, I'd also had some kids. So I'd written some really aggressive lyrics before. Uh, coming into writing that album, I was like, don't really feel like that anymore. I'm quite, <laughs> quite happy. So it took a while to, to find a, something that felt true without being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a different journey. Uh, but then writing for, for those lyrics, we learned um, quite quickly that the way I write and the way Kane sings don't necessarily match up. So when I would write for a song, I'd go, this riff goes for eight times. In my head, that means this many lines. And I'd write that many lines and I'd give it to Kane. Uh, but obviously I'm not a singer in any way, shape or form. So in my head, I would sing at a completely different speed than Kane would because Kane is actually a musician who's singing <laughs> correctly. And so the lyrics would have to end up getting chopped up and changed around. And um, so part of the process was, I'd write these lyrics and they'd go through the Kane filter and Kane would kind of pretty much re-edit them while he sang and go, okay, well, I, this part actually works really well here because this is, this is kind of a climactic line and this is where I end up when I sing that line. So lyrics kind of became a little bit more modular. So taking that in, into kind of how my process for the new album, Revelator, I wanted to create something that was completely modular so that... Um, rather than being meaning contained in like a, a stanza of 16 lines or something like that, I wanted to create something where you could take little chunks of meaning, little nuggets of meaning, uh, and you could, you could juxtapose them in different ways to create other meanings, in, similar to the way you would do a collage. Hmm. Um, so my process for Revelator, which is our last album, was completely different. Rather than sit down and say, I'm going to write lyrics, uh, I carried around this, this little black book, which I carry around everywhere, and I just for, for about three years, I would write down just even single words or one line or something just as they popped into my head. Uh, and the idea was that um, I was playing a game of, I guess, Exquisite Corpse. I don't know if you know that's the, um, yeah. the surrealist game where you, one person starts out writing and the next they fold it over, the next person writes, and then you fold it out and you've got something. So I wanted to play a game of Exquisite Corpse with myself, um, with the, the other party instead of being another person. It was just time. 
So I could write something which meant something to me at the time. Um, and then I'd write a whole bunch of stuff completely unconnected. Later on, I'd come back to that just book of just weird little phrases um, with forgetting what those actually meant. So there's kind of these hidden nuggets of something in there. But I'd then take those little things and start arranging them into, into a form that had some kind of internal logic. So a lot of it was kind of, it was just juxtaposition of ideas and sounds and things like that. With the idea being that there's some kind of meaning contained in those original phrases, which will still spark something for me occasionally go, fuck yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, but then there's also this, this macro meaning, which is comes out from the, the juxtaposition of them, uh, which I've found allows me to interpret my own lyrics in the way that I hope other people do. So I can, I can read those lyrics and they mean something to me today, um, but I can read it again in a month and they'll mean something completely different. So certain phrases, um, just because of the nature of the way it worked, the way I wrote, I can see certain obsessions of mine start popping out because I didn't actually sit down and go, I'm going to write about this. I would just write phrases and it just happens that over three years, certain things kept popping up and certain ideas kept happening. And so you can kind of pull those into a... Um, into a set of lyrics, but they've got all these weird jagged edges and they're not, it's not a nice, easy thing to pass. Mm -hmm. It's quite a strange thing. Obviously a lot of, um, there's also a lot of puns and, and plays on words and things throughout that set of lyrics or that album, um, which is also another way of just trying to make the words unusual to me so that when I see them, it's something that's, um, that's unfamiliar. I think that makes it more exciting for me personally. Mm -hmm. And then it goes through the cane filter again Kane gets to interpret that fucking garbage that I wrote and <laughs> reads it back to me. And then the way Kane delivers it gives it a completely different emotional resonance than it does have on the page. Um, so for me, it's, it's like, like a completely new thing again. And I, I've thought for this album, the one thing, or not the one thing, but one of the things I wanted to really explore is the idea that there's, there's more than one set of lyrics. There is the lyrics as they're written. So if you read a lyric, they, they show something. Words have different meanings when you actually see them written. The shape of words and the, uh, the, the way words are actually spelt can have a different meaning to the way they sound. Um, so there's the way they sound and the way they're delivered, but there's also the way they're heard. So I wanted to play with the idea with, um, with death metal, obviously, and with obviously with, as I've mentioned, the way I was really sort of listening to death metal a lot as a kid is you don't necessarily know what the, the vocalist is saying if you don't have the lyric sheet. So you, you kind of create your own meanings out of it. And I wanted to try and trigger those, deliberately trigger mishearings so that people would hear a certain phrase and think it was saying something else. And the idea being that there would be these other meanings in there that, that they would think, okay, I think that's what it is. And then they'd actually look at the lyrics mm. and go, oh, that's not what it was, that's fucking weird. So there's, there's deliberate attempts to try and trick people into hearing weird things. And then Kane's delivery is part of that as well. And we had a lot of discussion. I remember we had one thing where, the word was um, refuse, which was a play on refuge. Um, but I wanted it to sound like refuse, as in trash. And just because when you sing that, you just can't really hear it. And I remember Kane and I go, oh, you've got to say refuse. And he's like, I am, I am. And I kept hearing it as re refuse. So there's all this sort of stuff in there, all this stuff. I don't know how effective it is, but that's what I wanted to do. You just like struck a question off our list, man. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Damn it, yeah. team. We have a question <laughs> on refuse. <laughs> yeah, no, the refuse refuse thing. That's that's literally on our question list. I'm oh. kind of upset. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> we can still go through it if you want. All right, yeah. No, so like when you're all this stuff, like is this is this Kane, is this news to you or did or is this something Tim that you talked to him about as you passed the lyrics off? Like it before they entered the quote unquote uh cane filter. I don't know if we never really sat down and said, This is what we're trying to do. I, I think I told you about the process as I was doing it. I remember showing you the book and going, This is what I'm doing. Yeah, but, but I think that was actually fairly a fair way down the track. Um, yeah. at the beginning, I, it, it, I think it started with maybe one or, one or two lyric sheets of just, yeah, so it's a, a lyric sheet, fairly weighty there's a lot in there not too sure how it's all going to fit into the song but i try not to get too hung up on that because it just kind of uh, makes the process a little less flowy so i like to try and go with my gut as far as um, rhythms and melodies and and tones and and things um and then yeah, I've got a sheet of, of lyrics that I've not seen before. We haven't discussed it. Um, mm. I'm just kind of looking at that sheet as kind of a toolbox of um, puzzle pieces to fit this this thing I'm slowly starting to construct in my head um, as far as the, you know, the vocal delivery goes um, and trying to keep it intact where I can, but sometimes that it doesn't work out and so i've got to sort of massacre the lyric sheet a little bit and um and then yeah me and tim will discuss it because i don't want to i don't want to destroy um i don't want to totally ruin any chance of meaning in a section of a song or really upset the flow if there's supposed to be a a flow of ideas in some kind of sequence um but there wasn't too much. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of that. More more often than not, when when I'd chop things up, I'd send it to Tim. I'd edit the lyrics and say, "Look, this is how I've reordered them. I don't know if that still makes sense. I mean, the lyric sheet didn't make a whole lot of sense to me anyway. So I don't know. You know, you you'll know whether I'm butchering this or not. So I send it back to him, and he'll kind of go, "Ah, oh, yeah, that bit actually works really well." Um, this bit's a bit funny. Uh, leave it with me, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll rework um, the lyrics in that line to fit the patterns that you've got there, um, but still carry the flow that I was looking for. And he'll send the lyrics back to me, and I'll go, oh, cool, yep, I'll retrack it. The patterns are the same, the delivery is the same, but there's just maybe a couple of words that have been shuffled around or whatever. So it was kind of a putting the puzzle together as, as we go sort of thing. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I was just kind of looking at a, a page full of puzzle pieces that I was just trying to arrange to fit my vocal patterns. So, and thankfully it kind of seems to have worked out pretty well. So go team. Go team. <laughs> <laughs> so, Based on that, it sounds like you don't really talk about like the concepts or ideas behind individual songs before it actually comes to the editing process. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we did for Flesh's Air more. Yeah. Because, because, they, they because that was, yeah. Because we went into that album thinking, all right. Because at that point, Tim was a lot more time poor. So he was kind of, you know, 
open to like, maybe we can play around with working together on this, um, but we've got to be on the same page. We can't be writing totally different things. So Tim had started, I remember that, I that album had a core beginning yeah. point and we, we did discuss that so that we both are working towards the same goal rather than mm-hmm. going in different directions. I remember having um, a phone call with you and I said, for the lyrics, nothing's allowed to rhyme. Don't rhyme anything. I remember that. <laughs> which, which has never been something I've, I've been yeah. particularly excited about anyway. If, I, if there is rhyming, it's, it's, it's always very sparing. Yeah, um, yeah. Constant rhyming is, yeah. Uh, there's bands doing it well still, and there always will be artists doing it well um, and finding new ways of, of expressing themselves and keeping that kind of tradition but it's not exciting for me it's clearly not <laughs> you just come for another again. question yeah yeah <laughs> so there, there there's right. one rhyme that you, uh, a day man i cover my eyes blinded by sunset and rise is a rhyme that we found and uh kane on a song you wrote down on your knees plead for disease worship the noose gagging for abuse we found those we wanted to raise them actually because there were some of the few rhymes we found throughout your lyrics so we're gonna ask you like <laughs> hey why no rhyming and then you you scooped us again so <laughs> we did find it you you were you were unsuccessful in completely uh, removing them so <laughs> a few. I, I believe that rhyming has its place mm-hmm. i um the way i always thought about it is like i remember in high school learning about shakespeare and the way the only people would rhyme would be important people so they're the sort of general people coming in, the servants and things never rhymed, but the, the king would rhyme and the end of scenes would rhyme. And so I, I took that to be, all right, important bits can rhyme because that makes them stand out a bit. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought, especially with death metal and black metal, it's so bizarre to me that we make this really discordant angular music and we sing like the cookie monster having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and then rhyme like a nursery rhyme. So why have we got this dissonance and then we're trying to put this consonance over the top? And I think the way I, I listen to rhyme is it's, it's rhythmic. So you've got this, if you rhyme at the end of a phrase, you've got this ba 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 which I find really asinine. But I think what I think is really interesting is internal rhyme because that changes the way the, mm. the line is sung. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather do internal rhyme and, and alliteration and assonance and things like that because you can play with the rhythm of the line without ending with that really kind of pat, you know, just here's the, here's the end of a phrase you've reached with kids. I just, I don't think it works with the music. I, I would much rather, I think, I think what Kane and I have done successfully is Kane's amazing at interpreting the rhythms that I'm trying to create. So they're not necessarily what I think they are, they're going to be. But I'll, I'll write a phrase and go, this is how it works in my head. This is the way it flows. And this is the way, you know, the, as you sing it, it's tripping your mouth up this way. Um, for example, on the, uh, not that this is a song that Kane actually sings, but there's an instrumental on Revelator called um, uh, Wonder, Wonder Lost, which even now I can't even say it. It breaks my brain because it's, it's obviously it's based on Wonder Lost. Wonder lo- fuck. Wonderlust. <laughs> Wonderlust, thank you. But it's a, um, the, the vowels are all transposed. And it, it's the weird part is it's not even a vowel transpose. It's also a sound swap. So the, the, sound, the vowel sounds swap front to back, but the, there's a vowel transpose. So that sort of thing I find really interesting. It changes the way not only you sing it, but the way you see it and the way you hear it. Um, and then Kane can then take that and actually make something useful out of it and sing it properly and sing it 
which once again, he's, he brings in that emotional content. So even though he doesn't necessarily know my meanings, to me, it feels like he's interpreting it in a way that means something else. So I don't know, Kane, if, they, if when you're singing, it actually means anything to you while you sing. But to me, it comes across, when you sing it, it sounds like it has a meaning. And it, it sounds like it's, it's not a meaning that I wrote. And that's important to me. I want it to be strange to me. Before you answer that, we that that's another question we actually had. So just let's make it, <laughs> make it official here, uh, because we want to ask you, Kane specifically: Is there any difficulty in singing lyrics you haven't written, and uh, is there any process that you need to do to make them feel personal, to make them feel like your own, or to find meaning in them? How do you how do you take them from words into something that you can sing with like passion and energy, and sing in a way that that you know isn't just like karaoke, if that, if that makes sense? Yeah, well this is a really interesting discussion and it's 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 actually kind of funny that we've never had this discussion mm. uh, i'm just realizing as tim's explaining that oh wow we've we've actually never discussed that so it's a mystery to tim where you know where i'm at when when i'm doing this um and the truth is that that the emotional charge regardless of what what kind of emotional charge it is what whatever is coming through in the delivery is is always based as a kind of response to what's happening in the music. So I'm not really I'm I'm working with the music, trying to complement what what the what that music means to me. So as I'm listening, I listen to what what that's triggering in me, whether that's um, a despair or a grief or an aggression, um, whatever it is, I listen for, for that and I respond to that. So I'm delivering with the music and the lyrics just happen to be these tools that I'm using um, for those colors, if that, if that makes sense. So it, it's really quite, basically it's random what those lyrics are going to be um because that vocal delivery that the the expression that i'm bringing is going to be that way regardless of what words i'm using which sounds like in one way it kind of sounds terrible like oh you mean you've got no connection to the lyrics oh that's terrible how can you sing something that you don't even have connection to well because i'm i have connection to the music and i find what I find Tim's writing interesting and, and exciting to play with. So, and the thing is that what, what these things mean to Tim um, don't need to mean the same things to me. Mm. And mm. I think that's what's so what's worked out as this kind of happy accident is that by following my gut and, and going for the expression that feels makes most sense to the music it 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 gives the lyrics new meaning um just you know th that's not planned i'm not trying to give the lyrics a specific meaning but they just they acquire it they inherit new meaning um so it kind of just works out um somehow is, is that true for the the lyrics that you've written for this band as well because you, you do have uh, two songs on the last album uh you were written by you was that also just to fit the music or did those when you sing those do you feel more like you're saying something that you know you've thought up and and put meaning to in that kind of way i would yeah absolutely um i definitely 
this the approach is the same i'm putting the the emotional connection with between my expression and the music first that that comes first if i happen to write a lyric sheet um of stuff without the music in mind because i don't think i wrote no i didn't i didn't write the lyrics specifically to a structure I, I similarly similarly to tim i put together basically a big shit pile of um words and sentences that were all kind of just splattered across a page and then i take that as a toolbox to the studio and figure out how i'm going to arrange these words and lines to fit the expressions that i'm i'm i've got in my head um so if you know even even in the instance of potentially demoing the vocals with my lyric sheet in front of me and i might be reading along in some chronological order of how i've written it but if i happen to get to a line which has you know a, a, an, a really aggressive kind of volatile um, nature about it i'm not going to necessarily change the expression to suit that line it's always going to be juggle the lines around to fit the expression but yeah hmm. um i guess that is one that both sides of the coin have have their pros and cons so working with tim's lyrics this they're, they're really abstract they're tim the 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 connections that tim has to them i don't know what those what those meanings are um so there's almost like a freedom in 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 making you know in participating in this collage he's he's started a collage he handballs it to me and then i you know mess it up even more and then he just checks it to make sure there's nothing too too ridiculous about it and if if it's working it's working um whereas writing the lyrics myself yeah i'm thinking about the meanings and it kind of does become a little bit more of a a process um i love the freedom in working with tim um there's kind of, yeah there's, there's a freedom in doing that um but yeah on the flip side those I, I have no connections to those words they don't mean anything to me they're they're that chopped up um that there's you know i can if i'm trying to analyze a song there's a, a thousand ways you can interpret each section so rather than labor over trying to find out what tim's perspective is on it both of us agree it doesn't really matter because it's it's really about creating something that that is is potent in the end product and doesn't doesn't come across as being totally ridiculous so mm. sure Actually, yeah while you're talking kane i just realized i remembered that um there was a one of the one of the inspirations for the the style of the lyrics for Revelator actually came from a line that Kane wrote um, on uh, on Flesh's Air. There's uh, in I believe it's in Sewer. Mm -hmm. There's a line, and Kane, I don't want you to tell me what it means. It's really important that I don't know. <laughs> awesome. But there's deal. You got a deal. There's a line in there um, which always stuck out to me, and it's um, the line is "Dogs where it sleeps," and I for me that was just such a bizarre term and such a bizarre line and i loved it because you're using dogs as a verb what the fuck does that mean but to me that had this feel like australian pr prison slang you know you talk about someone being a fucking dog 
it had that kind of feral weirdness to it. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And I love the fact that there's this line that is so fascinating to me and I don't know what it means, but I, it keeps, I keep coming back to it and keep thinking, what is this thing? What is it? And I wanted to do that with Revelator for other people, but also for myself. That's the kind of feel I wanted to have when I read back to my lyrics is, I know there's something there and I know there is a meaning, but it's, it's elusive. Um, and that kind of allows you to keep creating meaning. You keep creating meaning every time you come to it and reinterpreting it. So that, sure. sorry, just mm. to jump in, that was just something that just occurred to me. That's really cool. And that actually reminds, the, reminds me of the first time I ever recognized that same thing that you're talking about, that, that noticing of, of that experience and thinking that's that's interesting the way that 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 affected me um hearing that line reading that line but being uncertain about what it means but knowing there's something very maybe sinister and very deliberate and purposeful about it even though i don't know what that purpose is the i remember one of the first times i noticed that in in another band and it made me realize that that's something that i'm that's really exciting to me was actually um al jorgensen from ministry right the earlier ones um that my copies at least didn't have lyrics and it just added to the mystery of and you know having your ear pressed to the the speaker going Mm -hmm. what is this guy on about yeah um whatever it is is absolutely creepy it's Mm -hmm. something quite not quite right about this this guy but the lyrics that I that you could pick out, the lines that you could pick out, um, would often be quite abstract, but have some kind of really grimy, sinister nature about it. And um, that was the first time I'd noticed that. I don't know what that means, but those words make me kind of feel a bit unsafe. And I just loved that. And that's that's something I've always lo- loved about a lot of the films that I'm interested in, art that I'm interested in. Seeing. So naturally i wanted to find a way to capture those kind of um expressions that that trigger other people in in that kind of way so that's something i really love about writing lyrics is finding interesting expressive ways of putting words together that trigger some kind of discomfort in people um without necessarily knowing what it what it means because anyone can say something offensive and make and make you feel offend and and you feel offended or upset by it but to say something that they don't even understand but somehow it makes a stomach turn that's cool i want to do that yeah those old ministry Um, albums for some reason like hold up in a really like the technology is all quite old right but some they still have this weird like uncomfortable like just atmosphere and and kind of grime mm -hmm. to it that it's i mean i'm always impressed going back to those albums kind of how much that holds up over time uh he was doing something really weird with like the delivery and the sound that that i think mm. is yeah yeah just a really purposeful rule mm. rule breaker real, real um yeah just caution to the wind expression is everything make noise commit and just keep doing it that's kind of the feeling that i've always kind of got from that band yeah absolutely um that's yeah and that's not to say it always works there's there's been releases which i've kind of gone oh was a bit of a misfire but i'll still be around for the next one so keep on doing it keep 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 up the good work 
Well, it's interesting that you say, you know, um, you're talking about rule breaking in the case of ministry, because obviously that's something that, you know, as we've mentioned, is something that you both engage in in your lyric writing. Um, as something that's, you know, Tim's already mentioned, you know, there's some um, unusual language we could say um, appearing in some of your lyrics. Uh, and in some cases, you've even seemingly like made up words um, or um, kind of altered words in quite interesting ways to engage in that kind of wordplay that you were talking about earlier. Um, I was wondering, like, how do you decide when's the appropriate time to kind of mess with, um, you know, the rules of language? Like, um, I suppose, yeah, at what point do you decide to, you know, diverge from the rules and, you know, make up a, a new word? Yeah. I guess it, it, for me, it all comes down to, initially it comes down to rhythm and things like that. So when I first started writing lyrics, one thing I was really interested in um, was the cut-ups that William Burroughs did. Yeah. Um, um, particularly, so I think when I first started writing the first album, I'd read a, f a few. I think I'd read Naked Lunch and I'd read Soft Machine and things like that. And Soft Machine in particular has a lot of um, cut-ups. And I loved the way the sentences just became alien. It's like you're reading, instead of reading something a human wrote, it's something a centipede wrote. It's the most uncomfortable alien thing. And I, I loved the way it interrupted the syntactical flow of a sentence. So you all of a sudden you've got something that should mean something and the words are there and you recognize them and there, there is a there's obviously meaning, but it's it's clouded. And I loved that it it just made things just seem a little bit unusual and unfamiliar, I guess, and uncomfortable. Uh, so that was the the initial thing. And coming into Revelator, I've always played this um, game just in my head. Just when you see a word, you just kind of try and transpose letters and you, you play around with it and see if you can get other words. And just, you know, part of, um, I guess, our band's whole sort of social interaction is trying to make each other laugh. So there's a lot of stupid puns and all that sort of stuff going around as well. So my brain probably works that way anyway. But I like when doing that, when you can, you can change a word up and you can do something to it. And it seems like it's got another meaning now. You, you kind of break open a word and you can see all its gooey insides and the guts spell out something new. To me, that's, that's really cool. That's exciting. And if you can put that into the collage that we were talking about, so you've got, once again, the meaning of the word as it sounds. So Cain will sing most of these words pretty straight, but they're spelt on the lyric page in a way that's kind of fucked up. Mm. Hoping that people will hear, hear a meaning and then come to the lyrics and see a, a different meaning um, so you're ideally getting more bites of the cherry. So if in playing with those words, there is something that seems, it has to seem true. It can't just be this word looks like that word. So that's enough to me. It has to work on a, on a, I don't know if thematic is the word, but there needs to be an internal logic. So there needs to be a relation between the two word shapes or meanings that, that works in some way where they complement each other or they, they juxtapose in a way that's that's more than the sum of its parts. That's so, oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, well, that, that's that's all I'm looking for. So when when there's there's so many, this book is full of just these stupid, so many of them, and there's a lot of them that that just they're just not right. You can see it's like no, that's that's trying too hard. That's not a word. That's not a, a meaning that really matters. Mm -hmm. But there are other ones where it's mm. it's it's like you're kind of seeing. This is going to sound incredibly pompous and wanky, but in the same way that um, people like, you know, the Cubists, they were interested in, sh in looking at art 
in a way where instead of seeing things from three dimensions we currently are, you're changing the perspective. So you're getting multiple perspectives of the same thing. Mm -hmm. I like to think of that being with a word, like you're seeing a word from both the front and the back. So you get to see not only, you know, the, the actual word as it's presented, but you get to see all the weird stuff behind it. And a lot of that is, you know, um, I'm aware speaking English, what a ridiculous language it is. It's cobbled together from German and French and all sorts of other garbage. So words have all these historical other meanings. And uh, the other thing I'm obsessed with is um, the sort of the, the, the text, you know, in you know, Roland Barthes, is, I've only read a little bit, but I know the, one of the things he talks about is the text of things where there's the word as it is on the page, but there's also the word as it means throughout the reader's entire reading experience. So every time we see a word, each time we use it and each time we hear it used, it gets these kind of encrustions of meanings, like little barnacles on them that, that it carries through. So every time you use a word, every time you use that, it, it means something completely different. It's changing each time you use it. Um, the example I always use is when we think of the word, I'm going to use a terrible word because it's, it's just such an easy one. But if you were a dog breeder and you go into polite society and you start talking about a bitch, mm -hmm. you're talking about a female dog. But there's no way you can use that in that context without being aware of how that's going to be received by other people. Mm. So there's that word yeah. has so many meanings outside of the outside of the context, outside of the all of a sudden you're taking the listener's perspective on that word. And that's what I wanted to do with the words I'm using. I want to use them in a way that there is a meaning that that cane singing and people hear, but there's also they come to it and they have to be forced to engage with the word. So they now go, okay, that's not what I thought it was. What is it? Okay. What is that word? It's it, like, you know, lifting up the um, the kitchen dishes and you think you know what's going on and all of a sudden cockroaches come flying out. You want that moment where you just go, what the fuck is this shit? So this is actually, um, we're, we're, it's good that we're moving into some kind of deep discussion of your actual lyrics because that was kind of the, the next section. But I'm going to jump ahead uh, to almost one of the questions we're going to ask at the end because we did want to talk about this. Um, my research interest actually is on uh, writing uh, changes to language which only exist in written modes. So when they're spoken out loud, they're lost. So I actually, I, I really wanted to talk about exactly what you're talking about because you're the first band we've talked to that, that did stuff like that. Uh, because you have um, on the song, like, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but uh, Sorius Stasis. Yeah. Uh, the first line, you have the word unable, but the able part is spelled like Abel. Um, and then the word sun appears, but it's spelled T-S-U-N. And of course, when Kane is singing this, you can't hear that right you have to kind of look into the lyrics uh and there's even times where you just like write apostrophe n as in praying and shambling um and i listen to the lyrics and i i think kane's sometimes mispronouncing a g sound it is screamed so it's tricky but it, it all this came together to make me feel like there's a desire uh, that you it, i read it as a desire that you have for the audience to read the lyrics which was interesting because um, metal is thought to be music, right? A, a music, an auditory art form um, and demanding or hoping perhaps, I'm not sure, you know, somewhere between the two, that if the audience wants to get the full picture, they actually do have to come back and read the lyrics, not be just because they're screamed, because, but because the spelling of the lyrics themselves are part of the art form was something I, I kind of hadn't seen. Uh, is this kind of line of thinking, right? Like is, is for you getting the reader to listen to the song, come, access the lyrics and then try to understand the spellings within the lyrics part of like what you consider the whole package to be and something you hope that they do definitely i think it's not so much demand as you as you mentioned it's like hope it's i just 
I, I like that it's there because I think it's it's unfair to say, I don't think you can say once you release art, this is the way it must be consumed. So I sure. don't think you can say, if you're going to listen to my band, you have to read the lyrics. This is this is where it is. If you don't do that, you're not getting the full thing. Everyone's going to interpret it their own way. But I think for me, it's important. I want to have, uh, in the same way I want the art that I consume to have as much depth as possible. I love digging into shit. I get obsessed with bands and writers and things like that. And I want to know about it and I want to dig into it and I want to, mm. I want to get it. And I want there to be that level for someone. So there is, you can, you can just listen to the music and you will get stuff out of it. And you can, if you can hear the lyrics as they're sung, there are meanings there. I just want there to be layers because I think it's important to understand language does exist in different modes. There is spoken language, there's written language, and there's there's listened to language, there's heard language. Mm-hmm. Those are those are three different things. Um, and I love the idea of playing with that. I find that really exciting. I think words words are they're like they're little chunks, they're little signifiers that you can play with. You can you can have a great time with. You can really change someone's perception just with something really really small. So I definitely hope that people are going to look at that. There's there's certain aspects of the lyrics that only work on the page right um it's it's not the the only meaning there but that's definitely written so that there is something if you read them you'll get something there and i i'm i love um i i tend to read more than i that i listen to music you know that's that's probably what i do most in my leisure time and i love that aspect of language so you look at something like, I mean, the most obvious example is something like James Joyce, where he's um, playing around with with words constantly, or someone like um, Vladimir Nabokov does a similar sort of thing. There's a kind of a, such a love of language that you get to play with it and you can you can create a uh, an alternate meaning to, or an alternate reading, I think more importantly, um, for the for the text. And I think that's, that stuff's really exciting to me. So, like, when you spell sun, T-S-U-N, um, is, the, is the goal there, like, to create that sense of just comfort that we kind of started this interview with? Or is there a specific um, meaning that you intended behind that, that spelling? Is there something that, uh, like, it, it means to you to have that, that specific word spelled in that specific way? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to go into meanings of lyrics too much because okay. I think, uh, mainly because I don't want to lock things in for myself in concrete i found with in the past when i've spoken about the meanings of lyrics if i talk about them that's become that becomes what they are the story i tell becomes the thing i remember uh, and i want to keep these things a little bit um odd to me i want to forget things and remember things and do all that sort of stuff and that's that's really important to me however for that one just to, to give a little bit away i think from memory uh soon there t-s-u-n uh is part of the line soon on me mm-hmm. um which if you kind of, that's one of the things where I wanted it to sound a certain way and to look a certain way and to kind of suggest something. Soon on me, to me, sounds like tsunami, um, which is referring to, there's, there's a reference to waves and things in that song. And um, I mean, I, I don't want to go into what that, that necessarily means, but that, that was what that was. I want that to start suggesting to someone, hey, there's a meaning here that you can, you can look at. And there you've got a meaning that's happening on the page. So you can see that's spelt differently and it's, but then that directs you to the sound ideally. I mean, right. I'm, I'm certain that most of this is not going to be um, found. It, and to me, that, that doesn't bother me. Just the fact that it's there and it could be is exciting. 
I mean, if people find one thing and go, fuck, I didn't notice that. That's cool. You know, that's great. You don't have to get, get them all. Mm-hmm. It's, mm. not, uh, it's not Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, um, have you had any feedback like that from like fans and listeners that have, you know, picked up on some of these layers of meaning or perhaps have interpreted things that you haven't even intended to have embedded in the lyrics? There's, there's definitely some. Um, I, one of the funniest things I've found is that outside of this conversation, pretty much all of the in-depth conversations and um, uh, also critical kind of write-ups on lyrics have been from non-English-speaking countries, uh, which really? I find really interesting. Um, and I, I think that's potentially because someone from Poland, for example, who's going to interview a band from Australia will go, all right, I need to know what I'm talking about. This is a language that's unfamiliar to me. They're going to actually engage with the text in a very different way to someone who goes, who can just gloss over it and just go, yep, yep, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, that's one of the things that the lyrics are, do, are trying to do is trying to get people to slow down a bit and go, just have a look at this word and look what it looks like. Look at, look at how, it, you know, look at the other things it's pointing at. Um, and I think people who don't speak English are kind of, just because it's not a, the first language, are forced to kind of engage with the text in a different way. So that's that's been the case generally. Um, but there have been people who've said, oh, this is this is funny, he's talking about this, uh, which is not something I considered. But the, the, the key point for all of this is there's no reason why that isn't also true. Mm. Um, mm. My meaning, the way I've written it is that there isn't a meaning, or there isn't, a, there isn't one meaning. There's meanings to me. Um, but they also change. And I wanted to, to be interpretable. So other people's meanings mean just as much in the same way that if you were to go and look at blue poles in the, the art gallery, you can say Jackson Pollock's tr- trying to do this, but someone would go in there and go, I think that looks like this. There's no reason why that meaning is any less valid than what mm. Jackson Pollock set out to do. Art, mm. art exists in a, in a kind of interaction between the, the viewer and the artwork, not between the artist and the art. Mm. and for for to put so much work into a collage like that it would kind of be a shame to give a particular idea or construct that that sort of represents because then it takes you know if if you put that out there then it takes the it takes the fun out of it like if if you were to give it all give it away and say this is what this means to me then yeah it's kind of a, a bit of a waste because when you don't put it out there it's that that is just a lyric sheet full of easter eggs and it's up to you to to find them and figure out what they mean to you it's it's really um there's a lot of bonuses mm. in there that way it's yeah it's I, cool. I think it's like imagine if david lynch came out and said what this movie actually is about <laughs> Is you know this person you go great thanks that's that's yep. brilliant it strips all the magic and mystery away from it sure you work you want to kind of let it happen so does this desire for like you know creating these layers of meaning um, motivate your choice to use so you know quite archaic or uncommon vocabulary often drawn from other languages you know for instance you know there's track titles from some of your earlier work uh, you know songs like Enea you know, come nine in Greek, uh, second uh, vitality of, from the sun, uh, it's Egyptian, this Gaelt, uh, old Irish for he who goes mad from terror, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, if you're more uh, recent work, uh, there's things like uh, palimpsest, uh, yeah. tabula rosa, uh, ego ergo sum, 
uh, you know, some of these are Latinate. So, yeah, is this all part of that, like building up these layers of meaning that aren't necessarily accessible at a very surface level? Uh, yeah, I, I think probably. I mean, to be to be perfectly honest, some of that early stuff um, mm -hmm. was we just we wanted lyrics and, and it was like, I don't want to call this song, you know, stabbing a puppy to death. I want to have something that's that has has a mystery, I guess. And sure. a lot of that was written under the influence of, of um, you know, growing up listening to black metal where you didn't necessarily that was might have been singing in Norwegian or something like that or. Uh, so the idea of having words that weren't necessarily easily passable was, um, I think, it, it allowed us a little bit of room to move around. Um, as we went on, I mean, palimpsest is something that I'm I'm obsessed with. Those I think that's for me. That's that's the like it encapsulates what we're talking about here. That's where you, awesome you've got. Word. Yeah, it's such a great word. Yeah. It's, it's such a good word in so many ways because it looks cool, it sounds fucking great, and it means something important. I mean, this is. It's basically a key to to everything we're trying to do. It's amazing. So I mean, anyone who's interested, go look it up and try and work it out. But I just think it's fucking beautiful. Um, I fully had to look it up. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've encountered it before through like some metal band using it. So yeah, yeah it's a it's a cool word. It's a really cool. I've never mm. seen one in real. Life. Well, actually, I guess I probably we, at like a museum. Right. Yeah, there's so many uh, that you wouldn't even been aware of. I mean, you yeah. always read in the, in the newspapers about. They've they've done an X-ray of a painting and they're like, hang on, it's painted over another painting. Mm -hmm. You know, th this absolutely hidden work underneath is fucking fascinating. This yeah. is incredible. So that's a that. Fuck, I got sidetracked. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I love that stuff. Um, Ego ergo sum is obviously a play on um, uh, cogito ergo sum, um, and that was more just because ego looks like ergo. I like the. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure that's terrible Latin. I'm sure it's not Latin. I think I think you said it was Latinate. That's, that's probably about right. But I, I like the way the words look together. That's that's an important aspect to me. Is the actual the way words look, the way they they nudge up against each other, the way they sound, and what they actually mean. All those three things have to go hand in hand. I think. So we don't want to like focus too much, obviously, on on stuff uh, that's too far back in the past, especially when you guys weren't working together. But just really quick. Oh, why is it that the second album, Non, has like none of this? You've all the album song titles are things like really straightforward words, junkie, vermin, slave. Uh, do you remember just even briefly kind of why that album is so straightforward in the way that the songs are presented? Uh, that was, I remember writing those lyrics and there was a deliberate attempt to be as unpoetical as possible. I wanted that <laughs> to be just like a punch in the face. I wanted that to be just really, really nasty. And part of, I've, I'm, I've always liked single word song titles. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're talking about words, the more words you use, the less meaning you have. I think when you, when you give, say a word like, um, like junkie, if you say that word, people start kind of, they, they make a pool of association with that. Um, if you start saying the junkie from Parramatta, <laughs> then that pool becomes a lot smaller. The more words you use, the smaller it gets. So I love the idea of just using a word because it, it allows the, the most amount of interpretation. Um, with non in particular, one thing that I was really interested in doing was playing with people's perceptions, knowing that we were a kind of a, an extreme metal band. And at that stage, one of the more extreme bands, um, I liked the idea of taking a word that people would think they knew what it meant. Uh, and then the lyrics not being about that. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I, some of them, I, I, in retrospect, I don't think was done all that well. I think it was a little bit clumsy. But if you look at something like, for example, the song whore, um, obviously that is a pretty loaded word. Um, in retrospect, I think this was maybe a little bit too far. But I wanted to use that word for people to go, okay, I know what that is because this is heavy metal and we know what that means in heavy metal. Sure. And then yeah. the, the lyrics aren't about that at all. The lyrics are, in that song are more about kind of about selling yourself out, not kind of doing what you should be doing and instead kind of going for the easy way. It wasn't supposed mm. to be about, you know, it, it wasn't sexual in any way except mm. in, its, in its reference. Um, so that, that kind of thing, I wanted to play with that sort of thing. And I, I don't think it was uh, 100% successful. I think I learned some stuff from that and went, okay, I'm not really into being as bald as that. I'd rather just go, I'd rather bring it back a bit and be a little bit more esoteric. It felt right at the time. We were very angry, very drunk young boys. Um, but I think, yeah, from there, I think we've started to get something that's a bit better. That didn't necessarily have the uncomfortable thing that we do with Kane. That was like a really aggressive thing. That was, you know, that it didn't have that, that, that level. The album, I still love the album, obviously, and there's, there's certain songs on there I'm really happy with lyrically. But overall, I think that album doesn't have what we have now, which I think is much better. So another change that we kind of noticed over time is your use of swearing, because uh, your first album, uh, Ocasus, is very clean. It just has one instance of damn. Uh, in contrast, uh, Non has 12 uses of fuck or fucking, one of shit, uh, no damn, and of course the song <laughs> Whore. Uh, Flesh's Air, then, where you first started working together, has six uses of fuck, eight uses of shit, seven of which are from Kane, which we'll get to um, in a second. Uh, one use of bitch and cunt, and then no uses of damn again. And then the newest album is completely clean. So... I guess our, our first question here is when you are using swearing, uh, what is your goal in doing so? And like when you, when you do bring these words in, what do you feel that they add to your art in those cases? Well, just because I haven't spoken enough yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am actually surprised that Flesh's Air has that many, to be honest. I would have said there was like maybe one or two. I know there was a couple in Kane's songs, but I'm-, I'm A couple. <laughs> Quite a few in Kane's, yeah. Kane's <laughs> fucking filthy. I um, in non, I remember that was that was because I was trying to make it as unpoetic as possible, and I, I obviously I swear a lot, and mm-hmm. I swear a lot, David. I swear at work. You know, this is a normal part of my life, and it's like a the way I use it in sort of day to day speech is as a kind of, I guess, to give things a little bit of heft, a more emotional heft, like. That's fucking ridiculous as opposed to that's ridiculous. Um, so in writing in non, I wanted that to be as real world as possible. So I tried to bring in the way I would actually speak into it a little. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in that, generally, the, um, the words tend to be, um, I, I can't remember the term for it, but basically just to, to up that kind of intensity of a line, um, as opposed to being like, you know, uh, Max Cavaliera in Sepultura, would use it like um, Tom Warrior would use an ooh, like at the end of a phrase, you just go, fuck! And that's that's <laughs> obviously fucking weird. Um, so I didn't want to do that, but it was in there uh, with, with shit. I think shit is a fucking great word. I think mm. there's a difference between shit as a, an expletive uh, and as a, a description for feces. The word shit mm. is another word that, that if you say to someone, I've stepped in feces, they'll laugh. That's fucking <laughs> funny. If you say, I've stepped in shit, they can smell it. 
they know exactly what you're talking about. There is a filth associated to that word. So to use uh, to use the word shit in lyrics to actually mean shit as opposed to I feel shit, mm. then you, I think you're bringing in something that has associations which are really, really strong. Right. Um, I haven't used it on Revelator because I. it doesn't... Actually, no, I, don't, I, I didn't deliberately not use any. Um, they just didn't happen. I think because of the way the words were kind of the wordplay and things like that, that's not as funny to me as taking another word and, and messing around with it. So they, those words are too strong almost. I mean, you can't, you can't do anything to shit. They're, they're also shit and fuck are really short, sharp words. There's not a lot you can play with in them. You can't really, you can't break, it, break them open and find other words inside. So they're not that exciting in that way. But I'm a big fan, uh, just to go back again, because I want to say it again, I'm a big fan of shit. Shit is great. <laughs> well, on the topic of, of the word shit let's uh let's go to kane here because um you wrote two songs on flesh's air disintegrate and sewer uh and these contrast just like the albums do in the fact that uh sewer contains seven of the eight uses of shit on that album uh and the and the use of bitch and the use of cunt uh and disintegrate though on the other hand is completely clean now obviously we we understand why a song called sewer might have the word shit in it frequently when that's not like <laughs> mine's not blown there but uh can you give us an insight into why these two songs that you wrote have such a huge gap in terms of the level of vulgarity across them uh it's really just where those songs are coming from lyrically um coming from quite different places um so disintegrate was that was more a i mean it was kind of almost a self-help song. Um, I, I doubt anyone else would probably catch any of that um, because of the way that it's constructed. But for, for my, myself, um, it was... Uh, for, I haven't read those lyrics for a while, so I can't really remember a whole lot of it, but it was um, coming from a bit more of a spiritual kind of um, place, I guess. Um, whereas sewer was more of and they're both very coming from a very personal very specific place um and i don't like hanging out my dirty washing so i don't write things in a way that spells out this a story um but it is coming from a very specific place and sewer I'd, it's actually hilarious to hear a study of this particular swear words and how many there were. I've never considered any of that. So that was um, quite impressive to <laughs> hear that <laughs> spouted so, so easily like that. It was very cool. Um, but yeah, uh, sewer was a very seething, a very personally seething song. I was absolutely seething writing the lyrics um, and it's it's all just coming from the heart it's not i want to sound offensive so i'm going to put let's collect a whole bunch of swear words and use them as often as i can it was very genuine um coming from a, a very um traumatized and angry place um so and it's it's a it's a cathartic way of releasing those kind of traumas through writing and performing this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was actually a really helpful thing for me writing that song because 
in the digging deep and and uncovering all that filth there's 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 going to this awful place and really just getting my hands dirty and digging through it um and and just kind of splattering it at the wall and um reassembling it was a really therapeutic thing and i think a lot of a lot of um it's you know it's a quite a common thing with with um extreme music particularly um getting getting those those it's kind of shadow work really um it's it's getting those things out there and my feelings towards that that particular place that those lyrics were coming from back then doesn't have any of that um it doesn't carry any of that energy anymore i actually got out what i needed to get out and i can read those lyrics now and i'm completely disconnected from them but i remember that person i remember who i was then and how um affected i was by these particular circumstances but i don't have i, I haven't held on to it mm-hmm. um i released that energy through writing that stuff um but it was very genuine and and purposeful I, i'm never one to to um yeah use use swearing for the sake of being offensive it was it was just very genuine and and yeah it was coming from the heart so but it, i am i'd be lying if i said i wasn't surprised how many <laughs> of those words and how commonly they were used throughout that song that that's shocking oh really <laughs> that's um that's terrible why would you do that but, um, yeah <laughs> well given that you've talked about like your uh kind of personal um, attachment to the songs uh, this relates to another question that we wanted to ask which is you know regarding uh, the topic of perspective because you know we did notice another kind of interesting contrast that comes across the different albums is the choice of phenomenal forms and perspectives in individual songs and you know across different albums uh, we've noticed that most of your songs um, of both the early and more recent um, albums feature the phenomenal forms I and you there's quite a lot of uh, first person perspective and I wondered how this uh, relates to the kind of difference in perspectives that um, yourself, Kane and, and Tim uh, were talking about earlier, you know, when it comes to both the writing of the lyrics and performing those lyrics, you know, as the vocalist, like, how do you view yourself in relation to the I and the songs? Well, from a, from a writing perspective, um, the, the, the truth of the matter is even, well, the reason I use I and you is because they're, they're much more immediate. They're obviously first and second person uh, really straight up. If you, if you start talking in the third person, then it starts becoming narrative driven and that's, you're, you're stepped out now. You're, the, you're not one of the parties, which is, which is not as strong, I think, in an emotional sense. Um, but, the, but the honest thing is that generally in songs, when there's a you, it actually means I. Like it's, it's, most mm. of the songs that are uh, saying you, I'm actually writing about myself. It's usually, I mean, this is something that I've, I've worked out over time. When I first did it, it definitely wasn't conscious, but I realized what I was doing was picking out aspects of things that pissed me off about other people, which is really something that I could see in myself and I was fighting against. Um, so a lot of that really nasty shit on non was really a bit of like, trying to like Kane says it's almost like self-help but that was kind of misdirected and I think one of the use one of the reasons I use you is to try and get a bit of distance from it so you can you can kind of externalize something and go that's what I'm talking about as opposed to I think if you start using I too much 
not only obviously you're identifying immediately, but from a, for a listener, things start to become a little bit um, solipsistic. People start looking at and going, this guy is kind of just singing about himself. I mean, I, I think about, I was never a, a big fan of new metal, um, but I found when I, when I listened to stuff, a lot of the songs there had this kind of woe is me kind of feel about them. Sure, and yeah. to me that, um, that is fine in, in doses, certainly. But when that's all it is, it starts to become really distasteful. I find that really kind of off-putting and just like, this is, this is not something I should be involved with. It's not that it's wrong. It's just, this is getting too, too, mu too much like listening to someone's therapy tapes. Mm -hmm. so I think if you can if you can play with that perspective, then you can kind of leave in that a little bit, and you mm -hmm. can you can get a, a little bit of distance there. But I also think there's there's times when I works really well because you know, it's essentially which direction are you pointing the finger, and I always think mm -hmm. about it in terms of Kane singing, or you know now it's Kane singing and thinking about how he would perform something because when you're talking about you, I imagine him leering and pointing and screaming at people. Uh, but there's there's the other side that Kane has where he turns kind of inward, and I like to kind of play off those two things. For me, that's that's kind of one thing that I'm interested in playing with. I've definitely always been very self-conscious of eyes and use because because of that, like what you're talking about, that overuse um, does become kind of something that you just want to steer partly you want to steer away from just because it's so overused um and partly because yeah it does limit the it does limit the perspective of the listener to some degree for sure um but just when it has purpose and it is limited to to purposeful um you know it can be a really powerful thing um but some people tend to rest on it because they're not too sure what else to do it's easier to say to write songs that are my experience my experience me 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 you 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 me 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 you 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 and yeah it does mm. with, without with that overuse it loses its meaning so yeah so when you sing i like do you uh, kind of adopt a particular persona that's consistent with that perspective um or do you see yourself more in the you you know like tim was saying earlier in performing i would have to say i've not really considered that question but as i'm thinking about it i would have to say uh i do i do attach myself to the i when i when i'm performing i, I do take that on board as as part of who is 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 projecting this narrative this story this idea um I, I definitely take it on board and do in the same way it's it's an outward kind of um well you definitely an yeah. outward directed thing for sure with with for example like there's a song on non called vermin and the chorus is the delightful you are vermin and that's always something that i, I have this picture every time i think about that i, I can see you kane live that's somewhere where you always have that audience interaction you're always pointing at some poor little person <laughs> who has come to his first gig screaming in his face so there there is definitely something you do with the you where you are projecting out it's it's, it's um i don't know if it's conscious because i think you obviously you're, you're in the moment 
So it's not something you're considering. Yeah, it's it, not conscious it. at all. Yeah, I'm having to actually think about it to go, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I do do that. Yeah, it's, it's um, I guess I try to be, whether I'm, whether I have any really linear kind of understanding of, of what the lyrics are in the, in the case of Tim's lyrics, um, if, if, if a particular lyric sheet is completely abstract with, and I have no connection um, to the, the overall idea of that particular song, um, I'm always connected to the music and the delivery. And so any pieces of the puzzle along the way that, um, that I may um, sort of attach some kind of connection to, I, I, I want to exploit them when they're there, use them when they're there. And yeah, it's not conscious. It's not a conscious thing. It's just, I'm, I'm just kind of, it's, I'm sort of doing a self-assessment as, <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely grab onto the things that do have any shred of meaning and I, I make good, I make as much use of them as I can. Um, in the case of areas where there might not be a, a direct connection to a subject matter, um, the lyrics, uh, I just, I just rest on the music and it's about just that same as in the studio. And when I'm putting these pieces together, I'm, I'm relying on just knowing that, uh, the the energy that i'm bringing to a delivery i just want it to somehow marry with the song with the riff with the change with the whatever um so i'm really it's i guess it's a back and forth thing between either just leaning into the the energy leaning into the expression to to work with the song and at times it will be a lyrical thing but it's 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 all over the place, to be honest. What about mm. uh, the word we? Because uh, when Jess was looking at this, she noticed that uh, on non, especially, there's a, a higher instances of we. And we, like, both of us kind of interpret that album as having some references to kind of social cultural issues like uh, mass media dependence, et cetera. Um, is, when you use a we, is there a shift in focus? Like, do you, do you imagine you're talking to the whole world, to your audience? Uh, what goes on with with uh, when kind of we instead of I or you? I think um, the way I, where I see the pronouns is um, I being personal, you being a little accusatory, and we being <laughs> inclusive. Mm. So I, that's the kind of flavors I guess that I'm I write playing with. So when I use we generally, it's kind of a bit more like a gather around. Let's have a bit of a kumbaya moment and pay attention to this. Um, whereas the you is, is you need to pay attention to this because you fucked up something and the eyes, Hey, check me out. I'm a fucking miserable cunt. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, we, the, we generally, uh, I, I can't really remember any instances of non, so I might be making this up, but I think generally that would be trying to be a little bit more inclusive, but you're, you're hundred percent right about non's um, overall kind of meanings. It was all based around that was starting to be written um in sort of the post 9-11, um, when, when I became, I think it was probably around before then, but when I became really aware of the 24-hour media cycle and, and that sort of, that we were just getting bombarded with information, that was the kind of thing that, um, that kind of came into that. So I guess one of the things there is that there is this perception of us versus them. 
So that was a big part of the narrative that is being basically shoved down our throats. And a lot of that is about how you are changed by the media you consume. So anything that you're kind of, anything you're exposed to is going to change your perception. And with something like the 24-hour media cycle, especially in that era where it was particularly aggressive stuff and it was really us and them, the perceptions of people is going to change significantly. So the way people see groups is going to be, um, they're, they're going to be much more enclosed. So we is an interesting term in that sense because it can refer to, um, it can, it's inclusive, but it can also be quite restrictive. So if you're talking about we, we as in this group, Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're actually saying is no one else. Um, and, and once again, I can't remember where it's used. So if you have an example, I'd love to, to hear one. Oh, we um, can boot one up. Yeah, I'd we, be really curious. We because... are dirt is the only thing that pops into my head. That's the only yeah, thing. I guess that, so that was one where it was more, that's another one where I'm actually talking about myself, but dragging everyone else around with me, which is pretty fun. Uh, but that one was meant to refer to everyone. There was no sort of exclusion there. Um, but there's no reason why we can't be exclusive, exclusive in some ways. Uh, so on Vermin, um, all in the gutter, we search for flaws. Uh, then we have, let's see here. Um, so that's definitely exclusive. The we there I'm referring to is us in the band. Uh, in horror, we are all in the gutter, but some of us look for stars. Oh, that kind of that's quite similar. Oh, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of playing with the same phrase and trying to change it up. Oh, uh, like- oh sorry. Uh, one one thing I like in lyrics is I see it like sampling. So mm-hmm. taking something um, sometimes from other sources as well, but but sometimes from our own stuff and putting it in a new context, because I think it keeps the keeps some of the emotional resonance from resonance from the earlier use. But then you can put it in new context and you get something that's richer now from being used somewhere else. So someone might go, oh, that's that same thing from that other song, but it's used in a different way so that it it unseats people a little. Spine seems to be the big culprit here because we have um, only buckled mm. only buckled car bodies in which we are caged, which is repeated. Uh, we will all be hunched shoulders, windows shut and air recycled. We are in neutral, creaming down steep steps. Every time we crash, everything's starting towards zero. Um, yeah, that, that's the... And then Dirt has uh, on everything we've gathered. We are water dripping from leaking rusting taps. We are flickering embers. We are the dirt. We are just dregs. We are water dripping from rusted taps. We are dirt. This is all we paint. Uh, and and then repeats of those. Yeah. So those those two seem to be very, very wee heavy. Yeah. Well, that it's um, those two in particular are quite social in their outlook, I guess. They're, they're talking about us as, a, as humans, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the we there is kind of everyone. Um, but it's interesting the other one uh, was referring to the band in particular. So it's, they're, All in the Gutter We Are Searching for Stars is actually a play on an Oscar Wilde um, line. But that was more, you know, basically we've all got our, we're all in the same situation, but some people are actually looking for something, looking to try and get out of it. Um, mm. So I guess the we is quite powerful in that way. You can use it, use it to bring people in, but also to exclude people. I don't know. It's quite, quite an interesting one. I haven't thought about that before, but that's, very interesting. And Kane, do you use it in the same way when you're uh, performing those songs? Like, do you feel like it's um, like inclusive or is it also, I don't know, accountable in some way? Have you accidentally used the band we as a never <laughs> <Yeah>. one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'd, Spine is definitely um, had a huge us and them feel to it for me. And that was actually the song that 
really drew me in to to being curious about about the band was seeing them play that song live um particularly um the guitar work really drew me and i liked the atmosphere that's created in that song um and yeah then then actually re- learning those lyrics to play it live um, it really yeah that that us versus them thing really resonated with me a lot so that was actually that's one of my favorite tracks from the earlier um amenta stuff and yeah i do i do have that that I do definitely carry that purpose and that conviction um, with that song. With with Dirt as the other example, that's that's probably I, I've always thought of Dirt as being more of a a little bit more of a limited to us as a group, but also it's up to the listener to decide whether they are part of that group or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah the the more you sort of flesh out those lyrics the more you sort of work out whether you fall into that category or not and there's some people that will read that and go yeah i'm i'm definitely not a uh, piece of shit like you guys (laughs) 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 i've got a bit more class um i'm i'll disclude myself from that that we um yeah all right uh, so you have the inclusive we, the exclusive we, and the the we that you choose to exclude yourself from. I suppose, <laughs> yeah. mm. I'm trying have. to think whether I've even written with that in mind before. I, I can't think of an example of really writing that way. But um, yeah, anyway. Right. Well, so this was the point in the interview where we're going to ask about rhyme, but that got, uh, that got that opportunity was taken <laughs> away from us. So we did have one other thing though, that we noticed that is rare in your writing. Uh, uh, these are, um, I think these are all from uh, Tim, but when it happens, it happens like you go kind of all out and that's the use of ellipses. So it, it's not something that you, like most of your songs don't have it, but um, on Ego Ergo Sum, you have the lines, a pissing contest for pointless piss ants, the selfish scrawl of another septic soul. And senseless stalk sounds seeps from paint smeared smiles, a rattle of the real in a dusty derelict theater, uh, which is just, you know, ellipsis, 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 uh, starting sound, starting sound, just repeated over and over and over again. I guess, why did you use it here? Simple question. Like, like what was the effect that you're going for for this specific amount of ellipsis in this specific context? I like... Um... So it, it all comes down to rhythm again for me. So to me, when when you do that to a line, you're forcing someone to engage with the line in a way they wouldn't normally when they speak. Mm-hmm. So it, it forces you to be a little bit more aware of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's certain effects. So I really like S sounds obviously tend to um, come across a bit more like a sneer. So when people, people are hitting S sounds a lot, they tend to sneer the line a little bit more. Um, P's are obviously plosive and there's a little bit more aggression behind them. So you can kind of, uh, in, in one of those lines you uh, mentioned, it's, it's all S's and then it goes into P's and things like that. So you've got this like switch up where you've got, you've got the, the voice kind of changing from a sneer into something that's a little bit more punchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's, it's rhythm and it's, it's when I write a line, in, like looking at just as a unit of, of a line being the unit that I look at, I like it when there's something in that it grab grab me. I don't like rhyme um, because it's it's pat, but there's so many other ways you can play with a similar sort of effect. 
So, I mean, obviously internal rhyme is one. You, you can have assonance, you can have uh, alliteration, all that sort of stuff is ways to, um, ways to play with the rhythm of the line and, and do that similar sort of thing to rhyme without there being that consonance, which I don't think makes sense in the context that we're using it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just finding interesting rhythms for lines and interesting, um, the sound of words is really important to me. The way, not only the way they look, but the way they sound. So the, what the vowels are doing, also what your mouth does when you, when you say them. So um, I, was, I came across this line the other day, which is not, well, not one of mine, but I thought it's so fucking clever. Uh, it's, it's a line from a, not a metal band at all. It's a, a band called Purple Mountains. And the line is, um, we stand the standard distance, distance strangers stand apart. And there's a lot that I love about that line. One is, is obviously there's, there's repeated kind of sound. So stand the standard um, and distance, distance strangers. But the way it kind of, it's forcing you into this kind of rhythm and the, the vowel sounds are quite short, but then you get at the end where you get a part, you've got quite this long, like the AR vowel sound is longer than the others. So all of a sudden, as soon as you get this part where you're talking about being a part, you've got this like longer sound. So I, I really like that sort of thing. So there's this level where the way words sound can actually impact the meaning or you can, you can get more out of them. So the, the, the music of the actual sentence, the music of the line can be a pleasure in itself before you even get to meaning. Absolutely. And part of that is, is I would say dynamics and contrast is yeah. Like what you're talking about is contrast is a big player in that having a a big clutter of something um, and then turning the tables and being faced with something. So, so um, separate from what you've just been sort of assaulted with that you almost don't know what to do with it. You feel kind of naked all of a sudden. Um, and actually that was something that I really enjoyed about that specific um, reference to the um, intro lyrics of Ego Ergo Sum was those, that kind of cluttered um, bunch of, of sounds that often are things that people try and avoid as singers, um, trying to soften um, certain sounds or avoid using certain sounds too much. Whereas Tim had bashed out this, 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 this kind of awful clutter of, (laughs) of, of these sounds. And rather than me try and um, dilute that by, you know, softening certain things. And I, I just, I had more fun just wringing its neck and going, yeah, let's, let's do that. And, and really ride that out um and then it's it was and then eric's left with the the hard task of figuring out a way <laughs> to mix that in a way that isn't totally awful but has, still carries the, the that kind of um clutter and and discomfort in a in a way that that works so mm. so when, when tim works like- that stuff in it's fun it's just it's like there's a, a fun aspect for you Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Just for you. Next album's just all Thanks, Tim. One, <laughs> one, yeah. one consonant starts every just, single. Yeah, just Fs, Ps, Careful and Ss, and yeah. Ts. That's it. Yeah. It's almost, I think it, a lot of it comes down to, um, because death metal and black metal vocals are amelodic and they, they tend to be, if they're going to be an instrument, they're a percussion instrument as opposed to a melodic instrument, more often than not. 
So those are the ways that you can kind of change the percussive strike in the same way that you would, if you hit a different drum, you get a different sound. So it's, it's a way of, if you had every word, every, um, every word in the lyrics start with the same letter, it, it's going to sound pretty similar. You'd get, it'd be like hearing when people terribly uh, trigger drums and you can just hear the, the start of the trigger happening every time, you get that which drives everyone insane. It's the same with words. But if you can play with that and you can, you can have parts where you've got this real attack of a certain sound and then it softens off and things like that, then you're, you're getting uh, something that I think is potentially rhythmically interesting. Um, it obviously requires a vocalist who delivers it well, and thankfully Kane does, um, but I think it's, it's a fun thing to play with. Mm. And I suppose what you're talking about there like seems to be uh, kind of relevant to another question I wanted to ask, which is about how, you know, the lyrics of um, both most recent albums have a very kind of poetic and surreal feel that, you know, certainly enhanced by that kind of assonance you were talking about earlier, but also through a lot of abstract imagery. So, for instance, on Flesh, Tim has lines like uh, the snakes escape, a vicious primal joy, trading reason for uh, reflex uh, and vagaries for void. Leave your weapons at the doors of imperceptions, uh, tail and teeth. And Kane wrote on Disintegrate uh, what seems to be images seen by a feral monkey hung up uh, in a sack, which include a severed head, a grain of sand, a flickering ember, a faltering fire, a brick in a wall built upon a foundation of nothing. Uh, and the new album too has lines like square dwellers begging for change, an arid spring called unmarked grave. Uh, birds flown to entropical climbs, uh, saw ire, cysts, sick eyes saw. <laughs> so did you guys coordinate this kind of style um, in your last album? Like this is, is this kind of like abstract imagery that you wanted to kind of uh, run through all the songs of that album? I don't think we ever had a conversation about that. Do you remember, Kane? I, I don't I think. Well, because I, I didn't write anything on, on Revelator. Um, hmm. That was just, I was just kind of excited to open these, these, um, these toolboxes of puzzle pieces and, and do what I felt was exciting for me with, with uh, Flesh is Air. I think we're both just excited by um, words that create, that, that kind of trigger the imagination. I think that's just something that I've natural. it's, that's been an exciting thing for me and I'm, I'm guessing it's probably the same for Tim. It's mm. you when you're reading material that that conjures really uh, very strong imagery. That's something that we both really enjoy. So I guess we. It's not like we're we're going out of our way to try and do it. It's just they're things that we're excited by. So naturally, we we kind of play with those kind of things. Um, so, I mean, discussing stuff for Flesh is Air, it was more a, an, overall, an overall theme, like it was yeah. an umbrella that we wanted to, we want to, we've got to be under the same umbrella. If there's going to be more than one writer, we don't want it to be, you know, one person writing abstract kind of philosophical stuff and the other one writing about football. Or whatever um yeah it's just sure. gonna probably not carry that well so there was a thematic umbrella that that we both did discuss like tim tim had the concept sort of bubbling away a fair while before we'd even started really um playing around with demoing any, a whole lot so yeah it, we had a bit of a discussion about that umbrella um and that was very easy for me to kind of 
go, cool. Yep. I can work with that. This, this will be exciting. Um, uh, and Tim was kind of like, I've, I've already got some things happening in this area in this area in this area. Um, maybe you might want to play around in that area. And so I was, I kind of just went, yeah, yeah, that'd be, that would be something I could definitely connect with. I've already got something coming to mind that would, that would fit that, that territory. So that's about as, as in depth as it got really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we had any, I think you're right. It's just, I think one of the reasons why Kane and I are such good friends is we, we have a very similar interest in the same sort of things, the same sort of art. So when, when we do catch up, which unfortunately is rare at the moment because we live on the other side of the country to each other and there's this pandemic going on, but we spend most of the time watching movies and having, having drinking some wine and watching ridiculous movies. And a lot of that is that kind of really surreal imagery and, and things that I, I guess have that really um, vivid and colourful kind of look. Um, so I think that's something that we're, we're both obviously attracted to. We like the kind of the creepy oddness. Um, so there definitely wasn't something we discussed, but something we were both attracted to and both kind of came to through just working on parallel lines, I think. So that segue is actually the next question, which because um, it's another similarity that that we noticed that I, 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 I look, I'm going to just uh, be a little arrogant here, and I hope this surprises you because uh, I, I don't like if, if if it doesn't, whatever. But I, I hope you're a little bit surprised by this. But um, you both have a lot of animal references as imagery and metaphor. So on the album that you both contributed to, uh, it mentions a dirt smeared beast, a worm feeding on mud, a snake, a well-groomed mongrel with a gut full of worms, a pig, tigers of wrath, birds, and the aforementioned uh, feral monkey. And then the new album has a bit less, but we still have a poor cur and curs on different songs, serpents, a tapeworm tangled round the stolen seed, mounts, and parasites. Uh, what is the goal of these animal references? Uh, and is this something that you've noted that you do? And do you know why you kind of keep coming back to pictures and images and metaphors of, of beasts? That's a fantastic question. Yes. yes. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I've never considered that. I've actually, I've definitely never considered that. I've never had a conscious um, consideration about I need more animals. <laughs> I keep I, I, going back to the same ones. I'm, I'm putting a rhinoceros into this song. Fuck this. I, for the new album. <laughs> I, I know why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's something that one of the things that I think I, one of the obsessions that, that Revelator kind of showed up and I've realized is pretty much a through, um, through line through everything that I've written is that kind of, um, so humans obviously are monkeys. We're overgrown monkeys with, uh, somehow we've, we've had this consciousness thrust upon us. So we're this weird line between a beast and a God, and we can't really fit into either camp. Mm. So it's, it's, we've got this amazing consciousness, which is only really a burden, uh, at least to me. Um, so you've got these sort of animal instincts. There's a, there's an animal part and there's a conscious part and there's, there's, on top of that, there's also a socially conditioned part. Um, and these are all kind of at war. I think the reason why we have social restrictions is because people left to their own devices are a little bit shit. They tend to be, you know, <laughs> they tend to be a little bit selfish and they, they um, 
I think there are systems put in place to stop people behaving that way. And that's, that's the social conditioning, which uh, obviously isn't something that just happens straight away. There's a whole historical framework around that. But there's also, uh, when we're humans with a consciousness and we're born into a world that we didn't ask to be born into, there's all these questions of like, how is this, how is this it? How is this what we're doing? How, and, and the biggest thing is, why do we have to have a fucking body? This is so undignified. Why are we born here and we sweat and we leak and we things break and, and things grow that shouldn't and things don't grow? That <laughs> it's just, it's so, so absolutely undignified is the, is the best word for it. And so I'm really interested in that particular Venn diagram of pain where the beast and the God and the, the socially conditioned man mm. or, or human um, are kind of fighting that little war to try and try and get it to work. And I, I, a lot of Flesh's air is about that directly. And, and it's about that war between um, what we called at the time was the, um, the realist, which is someone who's very much engaged with the world. And the obliterate is someone who doesn't want to be engaged with the world at all and just wants to be a kind of beast of instinct. Mm. And at the time, well, no, still, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure which is correct. Um, I love oblivion as much as the next person. I, you know, I love to drink. I love to um, forget. But it's not actually a way you can live your life. And so a lot of that is, uh, I guess, examining that side. For me, the beast is representing um, an aspect of, um, of us and, and potentially a freedom because there's freedom in obviously not, having to be engaged and not having to be aware. Um, that's, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as this, but everyone always has these sort of visions about just stripping yourself of responsibility and stripping yourself of the, the pain of consciousness and just going, right, I'm just going to be this kind of animal that just does what I want. If I'm hungry, I'm eating. If I'm, if I, you know, need to sleep, I'm sleeping, all that sort of stuff. There's no sort of, I don't have to get up in the morning and go to work and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's that's what it is for me. That's I know that's why it keeps popping up for me. That's something that I'm very much mm. um, always thinking about in some way, shape, or form. Man, if you're talking about discomfort, um, that that little uh, I'm not sure what to call it. The doublet you had there of things grow that shouldn't and things don't grow that should is <laughs> up there in one of the, like the most. I don't know why, but that's one of the most disgusting like phrases I think I've heard of in my entire life. As someone that likes horror movies and metal, I I don't know why, but that's that's gonna like haunt my it's unsettling, brain. yeah. Yeah, I don't like that phrasing. I really wish you hadn't said that in that way, at least. <laughs> Next t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Tim's Tim's body horror special. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting hearing that, um, because that's kind of reinforced something that um, I've noted in the past that is just as important to the working relationship um, as the things that, that, that are parallel with our, with things that are exciting or our perspectives. So as much as we share certain perspectives, there are others that we don't. Mm. And mm. Um, like Tim talking about, we didn't ask to be to, to come into this body and that kind of stuff. My standpoint is very opposing, which, which is, I have 
some kind of knowing that I did come here deliberately um, and things like that. But rather than that be than these kind of um, opposing perspectives being a, 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 a destructive force that breaks up a working relationship, it's, it's just as much the things that do work as the things that don't work that create something unique. Um, so yeah, that was just interesting hearing that and kind of remembering that, oh yes, we don't agree on everything. <laughs> that's actually, that's actually, um, the, uh, a, a beauty of, of, uh, of that working relationship is it would be boring if we did have the same perspective on everything. Um, we'd run out of, of, of things. So well, I think that's quite a nice note to kind of wrap up on. So I suppose given that, like, um, what would you say is the kind of role of um, language and lyrics uh, in the Amenta's music overall, if we can kind of bring our discussions together in some nice wrapped up conclusion? <laughs> I have to <laughs> He's written far more lyrics for this band than I have. So well, or I just like the authority. But like not even just in the band, just um in in metal in general and in music, because you you know, you do write lyrics for this band and you have uh, mm. written lyrics for other bands. Like, you know, don't don't please don't feel like you shouldn't say that. Don't like, limit yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like in in metal in in this art form that we all enjoy in metal, and in you general, make. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. maybe maybe oh. Tim more specifically for the band, but yeah, in, the, yeah. in this art form that we're that we're all uh, at least you know fans of, consumers of, for you two producers of, what is the role of language in your mind? It's uh, it's both it can be incredibly significant and it can also be very insignificant. So there are some bands that I listen to and I don't, I don't give a shit what they're singing about because none of it resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't need to, for me to care about the song. So for me, lyrics are a bonus. So powerful songwriting comes first. If the lyrics of the band are, something that's also filled with with you know um stories and 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 different perspectives and lessons and questions that's just a massive bonus i i personally don't go looking for that in music um but when it's when it's there it's it's just it adds to the dimension of the overall project mm. so i'd, I'd agree with that. on my standpoint I'd agree with that, but I reckon it's important to add that I think we should be treating language the way we treat music. So in extreme music, we are constantly pushing what we do to our instruments. So people are inventing new extended techniques to play on guitar. Drummers are changing techniques to get faster and do all this crazy shit. We should be doing the same thing to language. I think the fact language shouldn't be a static thing. It shouldn't be just something that we, we just glom on. If we're going to be extreme, and if we're going to be experimental and we're going to push the boundaries of things, let's do it across the board. I think Absolutely. that's the stuff that yeah. I like. I like yep. the, the, the language that's like, this is interesting. I mean, we're, we're definitely not the only band doing it. There are definitely others out there that do it. And it's not common, but I love when people are pushing that boundary because as Kane says, it's not, it's not necessary for me to enjoy the music. I come for music first and come for atmosphere and feel and things like that. That's more important to me. But when they have that extra thing, and if, if you can push all those those boundaries out, then that's very exciting to me. Mm. It's interesting because like we, we haven't had many people mention that specific, mm. but I think like uh, in our Artspire interview, uh, they mentioned kind of the same thing and that they were like, yeah, we're, we're putting all our other instruments to the fastest we can go. 
So the, my vocal delivery needed to be that as well. Um, so it's definitely something we've, we've seen a few times, this idea that uh, the lyrics, um, the way that words are being used, not just the delivery, but like the way that language is being used is also supposed to be pushed up to a higher level. Um, is, I have, have, is it only twice we've heard Jess, or do you know a number of another artist that maybe mentioned this? Um, I think it's something come up directly, like maybe once or twice, but I think mm. indirectly though, people have kind of touched on the idea that, that, you know, they feel that their lyrics need to kind of meet the level of like artistry that the rest of the music has, um, mm. you know, set the standard for. Yeah. And you used to be able to do that through just being more gory, but like that doesn't seem to be something that anyone, you know, I guess yeah. we've, we've hit that limit, I suppose. Um, it's like with music, you used to be able to do it by tuning down and playing fast. Yeah, know? sure. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, drop your guitar down to D and all of a sudden you're breaking new ground, right? That's right. <laughs> well, thanks. This is uh this has been fascinating. I really appreciate yeah, yeah we both yeah, really appreciate both of your times. Um and and it was really cool to to hear you kind of riffing off each other. Uh so you, I mean your your latest album came out pretty recently. Uh is there anything in the works people should look out for? Uh like videos or releases, or is it kind of the next thing? Is there a tour coming up? Uh we Probably not touring anytime soon. We did have a tour booked last year um, mm. when we did got to do one show of it. And then all got canned. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Um, so we're, we're going to play it cool for a bit, but we're, we're yeah. focusing now on, on new stuff. So rather than play, we're, we're pretty much a, either, if we're, we're touring, we're probably not writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're focusing on writing. We do have um, something we're just knocking off the last bit of at the moment, which is not a new album, but it's a new thing, mm-hmm. which hopefully should be out relatively soon. Um, but then, then it's we're going to get into a new album. So I know people are probably people who know us are well aware that we've we've generally had a long time between albums. So we're trying. Yeah, to yeah, for sure. Oh, so that a, nice. That's kind of. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, mm. yeah. So where's the best place for listeners to keep up with your most recent work? Uh, best place for us is Bandcamp. I mean, mm-hmm. listen right. wherever, but obviously Bandcamp. It's much much better for us if you're purchasing from us direct. We actually might get some money out of this bucket. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll link that in the description. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Wonderful. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging.